COVID-19. Weekly Digest. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to the Weekly Digest here on News Talk. I'm Sean Defoe and over the next hour we'll look back at the week that was in the world of COVID-19. Much of the focus this week was on the lifting of restrictions as we hit week five of the full lockdown of the country and week seven since the initial restrictions as schools were closed. After a number of cabinet meetings and debate from the National Public Health Emergency Team, on Friday night Taoiseach Leo Varadkar came to a podium at government buildings to announce the future of the lockdown. Tonight I want to explain to you why we have to extend current restrictions until the 18th of May and also share with you our plan to reopen our economy and society in phases starting on that day. Thanks to you, we are making a real difference in the fight against COVID-19. The curve has been flattened and has now plateaued. Thousands of lives have been saved. Our hospitals and healthcare staff have not been overwhelmed. But we've not yet won this fight. Our scientists and doctors tell us that if we relax the restrictions too soon, we could see within a matter of days our ICUs overcrowded, our care homes under renewed pressure, and our healthcare staff overwhelmed. Everything we've achieved would be lost. Our best chance of winning this battle will be swept away, and we could be back to square one. So we must go on for a short time more. As I mentioned earlier, we have a plan to ease restrictions from the 18th of May. But before that, we need two more weeks of tight restrictions to weaken the virus further so it doesn't have the strength to make a comeback when we start to interact with each other again. During this period, we are making some changes. We're extending the distance you can leave your home. So from next Tuesday, it will be possible to travel up to five kilometres from your home for the purposes of exercise. For people who are cocooning, the public health advice is to continue to do so. However, from Tuesday, it will be possible to go for a walk or a drive within five kilometres of your home if you avoid all contact with other people. The Taoiseach also set out a roadmap for how the country will shed the current restrictions. It's set out in five stages that will start on the 18th of May. There will then be a further easing of restrictions roughly every three weeks until August. Travel is likely to be severely restricted for many months, meaning that people are unlikely to see loved ones who live more than 20 kilometres away until July. Schools and colleges won't return until September or October, but the Health Minister Simon Harris says the leaving cert will still go ahead. Now that we've provided the very clear public health advice that schools won't be in a position to reopen um, it will be a matter for the Minister for Education now to factor in how best to get Leaving Cert students in so it's the latter, it's the latter uh, of your two options that schools won't be coming back for the general population uh, of school children and students until the new academic year uh, but still the Minister's plan to arrange for the Leaving Cert to, to proceed. Most social gatherings, bars, funerals, pubs are going to be among the last range of things to be opened. Restrictions on funerals and weddings are also likely to stay in place for months to come. The Chief Medical Officer Tony Houlihan has said that they especially understand the difficulty of not being able to attend funerals. Uh, often it is the case when you think about funerals, there can often be large gatherings with close and intimate contact and sometimes the social dimensions that go with those can be the very circumstances in which transmission of 
infection between people uh, is, is, is a substantial risk. So that's where we're, we're coming from. It's, a, it's the public health risk. And that was the big Friday night announcement from government buildings that these restrictions really are going to be with us for quite some time yet. Now, many people have felt the bite of the virus, of course, at a social or economic level over the past few months. But we can sometimes lose sight of the devastating impact for people who actually contract COVID-19. Earlier in the week, Pat Kenny spoke to Dublin woman Yvonne Kinsella, who described her battle with coronavirus. Fearing she wouldn't survive the illness, she began to make end-of-life preparations. So I suppose the week of March 23rd is when it all kind of kicked off for me. Um, the week before that, we had all had some sort of a bug in inverted commas, which I now realise the vomiting was, was actually a build-up to what was to happen the week of the 23rd. So um, Monday, I had a, a digestion was kind of um, barking a lot, and I thought this is unusual, but didn't think much of it, thought, oh, maybe because I was sick the previous week. And then by the Wednesday... Oh, Wednesday was a, a tough day. I was, we had been isolating for a week before that anyway because I have asthma and an autoimmune disease. So does, my daughter has an autoimmune disease and my husband has asthma. So we had decided ourselves to isolate and go that anyway. So on the Wednesday, I, I got this feeling, I couldn't speak, and it was like a, a truck was sitting and parked on my chest. That's possibly the only way to describe it. It was... It's, that meant I couldn't catch my breath, I couldn't speak, and it lasted. And then it went, and I was like, Geez, "That was just so unusual." But by the afternoon, my energy had dropped completely, and something I'd never do. I went to bed, so I was getting by about ten o'clock these hot flushes. Then I'd go freezing cold, but the headache passed. I had was indescribable because it was nothing I'd ever experienced before. I went deep into the sockets of my eyeballs and it just, I couldn't open my eyes um, and the pain went through my body. I couldn't actually get out of the bed to walk a few feet to the ensuite because I thought I was going to collapse. But I, I'm no good on this kind of go to hospital thing. I, I, well, I'm definitely never any good until that week. And my husband wants to call an ambulance on Wednesday night. And I was like, no way. This is just, you know, it's the COVID thing. I'll isolate. Just leave me alone. I'll be fine once nobody else gets it. But on Thursday night, oh my God, I woke up about three o'clock. And I remember lying in the bed going, I'm dying here. This, I can't, I can't actually survived this um, the breathing was very shallow um, I hadn't the energy to even turn in the bed, if I turned on one side the pain shot from my chest I had to try the other side by 4 o'clock I got out of bed they found the night before it took me a while to put them on I'd say it took me about 15 minutes to dress with the way down the house and I remember thinking I'm going to die tonight, but I don't want anyone, I don't want the kids to wake up, I don't want them hearing me going, I don't want to say goodbye to anyone or I love you, I didn't want any of that, I just went down the stairs and I said to my husband, get me to the hospital now, love, I'm, I'm actually, I can't breathe, and I didn't want to worry him too much, but I knew, I knew I was in trouble at that stage. Are you actually um, thought from, this is the end? I mean, it, I'm oh, going to die. So much so you, you wanted to write a will. I said to my husband, and bearing in mind um, that I've asthma, so once a year I would always end up in hospital um, and I'd have about eight or nine um, nebulizers to get me stable again. But this was nothing, nothing comparing to asthma. Like, I, I, it was the scariest thing I've ever went through. And I said to, jo- to John... 
go out to the kitchen. Um, we had bought wills about two years ago and we never wrote them, the way a lot of people do. And I said, I get, get the will, and I could barely speak at this stage. Bring me a will. And he gave me a pen, and I hadn't even the energy to do anything. So I just signed it, and I put the date on it. And he got me in the car, and I could see he was shocked and breaking down, and he was trying to hold himself together. He drove me to the hospital, and as we drove, I dictated the will into a WhatsApp voice message. Um, and I, I just said to him, go home, and before you go to bed, I want you to write that up so that it's 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 a viable will. And he was like, what? Well, I said, just, just please just write, write it up, Jenny. you get my words there, just write it up, and it should be okay for us. And when he dropped me, he said, like, go in with you. And I said, no, don't go in. It's only COVID patients. I don't want you coming in and catching anything. And I, I distinctly remember when I walked, I left the car. And he said, I love you. And I said, I love you. And I walked in and I purposely didn't look back at him because I was struggling to walk. So I, I couldn't breathe. And I thought, if I, if I cry... I'll make myself worse. So I got in to try out. They actually thought I was having a heart attack when I got in because my my heart rate was through the roof. Blood pressure was so low and I suffered with high blood pressure. So I actually later on thinking, thank God I had low, you know, I, I suffered with high blood pressure because the fact that it dropped helped me in my recovery. But they got me in onto an ECG um, and the very first thing when the doctor came in, she was the only doctor, she was the first doctor that came in that wasn't in the PPE. It was early days, so they possibly didn't have all the PPE gear passed. And mm-hmm. she looked at me and she asked me how old I was. I'm 51. And she said, who was at home? And I told her. And I said, I- I'm in trouble here. And she said, you may have left it longer than you should have, but you were right to come in. And I could see her crying. She actually started to cry past. And I started to cry. And I said, I'm really, really sorry for being here because I'm putting you all in danger. And I can't apologise to you enough for that because I knew, I knew I was putting everyone in danger by being there. That was, I suppose, what held me off going in the first place. A little bit, you know? Now, the the, the nurses, uh, they were fabulous, I believe, that really looked after you. But they too, um, like yourself, um, they shared one thing with you and that was fear. Fear, absolutely fear. Um, when they took me up to the ward, I was 13 days in hospital in the end, and when they brought me up to the ward, there was a girl opposite me. She was from Poland. There was a man beside me from Moldova. She was waiting on her results, and he was waiting on the results. And I remember being brought into the room, and they were gone as quick. They were like, in the door, out the door. And one of them told me that they can only spend a maximum of 10 minutes in, in the wards, um, in the, they have to have full PPE on them. They have to have the full the gear on them because that they any any longer than that they put themselves at risk. They told me right. But Pat, I have never in my life seen people more dedicated ever. Like they know that they're coming into us. They're putting themselves, their families at danger, but they've no choice because that's their job. And they they come in and they we most had mostly had Filipino nurses and Indian nurses in our particular um, ward where we were and they couldn't do enough for you even though they couldn't do you know they couldn't do enough in one way but they, they tried to do as much as they could to help you but it was a case where we had a bell um, we, we, if, if anything happened and I was ended up when them two people left there was old people with me and I kind of ended up looking after them a little even though I couldn't walk but anything any distress I'd press the, the bell for them but it would take about 15 minutes 
for the staff to come in because they have to be outside in the gear, get ready. And then when they come in, Pat, they are pumping sweat. And all you can hear from them is, oh my God, I'm sweating. Oh my God, I'm about to collapse. That's all you could hear all day and all night. I'm about to collapse. It must be an absolute nightmare what they're going through in there. Yvonne Kinsella speaking to Pat Kenny on Monday of this week. Now coming up next, Professor Luke O'Neill brings us up to speed on the developments from the world of science. Welcome back to the Weekly Digest. I'm Sean Defoe. Now on Wednesday's Pat Kenny show, Professor Luke O'Neill spoke about some of the scientific studies relating to COVID-19, including some interesting research relating to bats. I mean, they're a massive fascination for science and uh, at the moment, most of all, of course, because obviously this virus, the COVID-2 virus, has come out of bats. And a big shout out to Emma Teeling, by the way. She's one of our great scientists in Ireland. She's in UCD. She's a, a bat expert. We've had a collaboration actually over the years with Emma. But yeah, the stuff just come out from UC Berkeley. Um, a really interesting paper trying to address the question, why are all these viruses in bats, first of all, the coronaviruses especially, and then how come they can jump from the bat into us? And we must... Um, understand this pat because if you want to stop SARS-CoV-3 the prospect of that's you know horrible isn't it we need to understand what's mm. going on in the bats and understand the viruses in them and why it is that these viruses might might spread from the bats into humans now these viruses are terrible in their effects on humans but they've no effect at all on the bats why? No, the bats tolerate them. There's another pat. What's amazing around teaching people immunology words all the time. Immunologists use the word tolerance. Can you believe it? it's a word that we know from day to day life? And, and bats can tolerate viruses. We can tolerate certain bacteria, as, as you may know, in the microbiome in our guts and so on. So, so tolerance is a very important part of the immune system because if you can tolerate something that's infecting you, you won't get sick. And, and lo and behold, bats tolerate viruses. And there may be there's hundreds and hundreds of different viruses in bats, and that's intrigued science for quite a while now. Like why is it a bat can live quite happily to some extent with a virus and say we can't? And, and there's a number of reasons for this is one is the bats have a good immune system, obviously kind of primed to respond to the virus. So if the virus is living in the bat and it might get a bit mischievous and begin to divide, the bats are able to activate, activate an immune response to limit that, that in a way. And one really interesting part of, of the immune system in the bat is, is a thing called interferon alpha. There's another good immunology word. Now, we have interferons as well in our bodies, and they're very good at sort of limiting viruses. And lo and behold, the bat makes lots of interferon alpha to limit the virus in a way. A good analogy, Pat, is, is to do, like, again, the fire analogy. If there's a fire burning in the forest, say, the bat has a blanket to put over the fire, interferon alpha, the fire goes out, and there's still smolders. So the, so the virus is still there, but now it's tolerated. And this work on interferon alpha, of course, could be useful to us because we might be able to use interferon alpha. So one reason is um, the bat's immune system seems better primed, if you will, to handle the virus. Now, um, the, the bat is the source, it appears. Now, whether it was done via a lab where they were examining these bat-borne viruses and then there was an accident in the lab, or whether it came out directly. But one of the theories is that it doesn't go from bat to human, like the vampire bat that bites you and sucks your blood. It actually goes into another species in between and thence to humankind. Yeah. What do you think? That, 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 that's right. And, and there's very good evidence. It probably went through the pangolin, as we know. And, and maybe that's because pangolins are more in contact with bats. That's one possible reason, or whatever it might be. Or maybe in that seafood market, a pangolin got infected first. And then it went from the pangolin into us. And then it might change a bit in the pangolin, maybe, we think. There's a possibility. And then, then jumps into us. And many, many viruses go through two animals. So SARS went through the civet cat, for instance. MERS 
went through camels, as you may remember. And Ebola then went through gorillas. That's another virus, of course, went, was in gorillas and then came into us. So there, there seem to be these intermediate animals in between the bat and us, which, of course, science is very interested in studying those, which, which is a key question, why it would go through one then. And, and there is a chance, as I say, it might modify slightly in the intermediate and then infect us is the way we think of it. Okay. Is there anything we can learn, any trick we can learn from the bat in the way the bat copes with this virus that we could develop something in our own genome that would do the same? Absolutely. And that's the usefulness of this in a way. The second aspect, but is bats have a very high metabolism. That's because they fly. They're the only flying mammal. And, and that needs a huge amount of energy for a bat to get off the ground and fly. That very high metabolic rate, as we call it, is very interesting. What that does, Pat, is it, it generates kind of a, a few as if the engine is running on full and these nasty byproducts of metabolism can be damaging and they can cause inflammation actually which is what we're interested in in my lab and of course bats have a way to limit the inflammation because they're generating all these toxic fumes if you will as they fly around they can limit the inflammation and lo and behold they limit the inflammation when a virus begins to get mischievous and that's a very interesting prospect because as you know with SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19 it's the lungs become badly inflamed. So can we learn from that? Can we come up with similar ways in our bodies then to boost an anti-inflammatory response and then limit the damage? And that's exactly what scientists are examining. How come the bat can limit this, this inflammation and then can we adopt that into humans? And that, that, that's actually quite a promising prospect, you see. And, inter and the other example yeah. I gave was interferon alpha. Can we? And, and there's a trial with interferon alpha at the moment in humans, remember, because that may be useful to us as well. And the second thing is, but that's very interesting, that the bat, the bat can handle the virus very effectively and live with it. That means the virus has to get around that occasionally and it divides much faster in the bat. Okay, so these viruses in bats, they can divide much more quickly. That's okay if you're a bat because you've got a way to limit that. It's different if you jump into us. It's still dividing very, very fast in us, you see. Because that, that's, that's the way, that's his nature, if you will. And therefore, the, the virus divides like crazy in our bodies and then causes disease, you see. So, so again, viral replication becomes a focus for us as well to see if we can limit that for obvious reasons. Hmm. Now, we'll move on from bats to the toilets in the Wuhan hospitals. Tell me more. Yes. Now, this is another important, as, as we were saying often, Pat, these studies keep coming out and there was a major paper, which, of course, we like because that's a major, a major journal in our business. Uh, they decided to look at these aerosols. Now, now as, as we know, was it maybe three weeks ago now, though it probably seems like longer, it, studies came out showing we can just breathe out these aerosols and they may be infectious. In other words, you don't need to cough anymore to spread COVID-2. And that's why, again, getting back to one of our favorite topics, Pat, masks, by the way, because that will stop you breathing these things out to infect others. Yeah. And two really good studies in, in, in two hospitals in Wuhan, where are these aerosols? They could measure them. And lo and behold, wouldn't you know, they can, they can detect them, detect them, of course they can. And they wonder where were the aerosols? They were in two places. Toilets had loads of aerosols that they could detect. And that could be, in, especially in wards where there were people with, with COVID-19. And that's just simply because there's more people going into the toilet and, and then aerosols come out. And then secondly, uh, anywhere where the public gathers in a hospital, that could be around a, a vending machine, it could be, you know, places like that. Again, they picked up loads of aerosol there. Now, now this is important, Pat, because now they know where to clean really carefully. Now, again, it's obvious you'd be cleaning the toilets, I guess, anyway. There was very low areas in the wards uh, because they're being cleaned a lot. And I guess less, less numbers of people, I guess, going through there, perhaps, you know. So that was quite good. They couldn't detect any in some of these places. They also showed had areas that were well ventilated. There was hardly any aerosols. And that makes sense because it blows away. These aerosols are very flim flimsy, remember. And that's why outdoors is good for us, because the aerosols blow away much more readily. So th this is a good study because it says there are aerosols. And now we can limit them using the usual hygiene and, and pay uh, special attention to these areas.
Okay, well, it, it brings up the question of uh, the, the viral load that you need to be infected. If you're outdoors, I mean, these little uh, critters are still there in the aerosols. Eventually, they will fall to earth. Um, but the dilution that happens in the open air and how yeah, quickly huge. it happens. So on, on a windy day and a jogger huffs and puffs past you or a cyclist without a mask huffs and puffs past you and they're putting out a plume of, of virus, potentially if they're yeah. infected, um, you know, how, how long before that's diluted sufficiently that you don't have a risk yeah. in, you know, oh, walking it's, into it's their plume? Point, Hugely diluted. You know, when you're in, in in your kitchen and you dilute something even a tiny bit, it's you know goes away. So it's a massive dilution, and, and these things just blow away. That's why two meters is great, by the way. And you're quite right. Even even joggers and so on, it'll just blow away into the, the breeze. Uh, one thing that was interesting, Pat, recently was they did a massive study on them in China of of the so-called super spreader areas where one person infects say ten or twenty, and that they've looked at those very closely, obviously, and they're often very confined spaces. Or interestingly, if the air conditioning is concentrating in some some part of a room, then then the, maybe the aerosols and the products gather there. You see, so so one good piece of advice outdoors, but it's trying to be downwind. And, and this came up in this article. And a windy day, a breeze is perfect. It'll just blow all, all blow away, and that decreases the risk of of an infection. Usually, obviously. Now, moving to Africa, I was looking at a chart of African countries, and in fact, uh, world rates, you know, deaths per million and so on. And uh, by and large, across Africa, the, the rate is very low. Do we understand why? Is it the counting? They're not yeah. doing proper counting or is it the rate? Well, there's a good study in the FT this morning, Pat, on this, or yesterday evening, I think it was on this. I mean, Africa, we were all very worried that there'd be a massive problem there, as, as we would have anticipated potentially, because the, the health service not being as good, maybe overcrowding and so on. And it doesn't seem to be happening now. now and, and there's several countries reporting quite you know, low numbers. And there's a couple of reasons. There is a risk it's to do a testing. And those numbers will climb, of course. But some of the experts are saying maybe not, that there really is something going on in, in those countries. Uh, one is, of course, the younger population, because on average, the age of people in those countries is lower. And as we know, this is largely a disease of older people. So that would be one reason. Um, but the second is maybe the heat. You know, that's, I know we wondered about that, haven't we, whether the environmental humidity heat might be an aspect. They don't know, of course, is the answer. And they are being cautious because numbers may climb. But it was quite a positive story there in the FT about this saying, look, there's something interesting. Africa is not being tortured with this as much as much as might have been anticipated. And finally, in terms of the, the news over the last seven days or so, uh, deaths in people with cancer could rise by at least 20 percent. Is there a particular reason for that? Is it simply being Im immunocompromised or what? This is a very important study, Pat. It came out last night. Uh, it's led by an Irish uh, scientist called Mark Lawler, who's actually an old classmate of mine, so I'm going to plug there. But but he had a great study on this that with, with collaborators in UCL in the UK. It's, so it's a Queen's UCL collaboration. And Mark, Mark has been a cancer specialist for quite a, quite a number of years. And what this study shows, it's, it's quite worrying. There's 76% decrease in urgent referrals of people with cancer. And secondly, a 60% decrease in chemotherapy appointments. And this is a concern because obviously that means people with cancer may be at a higher risk then of death. And and the prediction from, from Mark's study is that there could be as many as 17,000 extra deaths in a year from this if cancer isn't isn't considered. And of course, a number of reasons, but one is people are going less frequently. You know, this is a big issue for most conditions, as you know, 
one of the fears the health service has is there'll be a massive surge of other diseases once this once this be, once COVID nine begins to be controlled because people are going to hospital less because they're worried about getting infected or mm. don't want to be a burden and so on. So so the reason why this is so important is um it's to look after people with cancer and, and keep reminding them go to your doctor go and get your appointments don't lapse on your chemo and of course the the the, the oncologists are very aware of this and they're trying to you know help help their patients in various ways. So it's seen as a very important study. All right. And, and of course, uh, the whole issue of private hospitals and consultants rooms where you have an oncologist who's been treating a patient privately. Uh, what now? These are questions that uh, need to be answered. Now, Luke, a couple of things coming in from That's our right. listeners. Could you please ask, Luke, if a low dose of fludrocortisone, 100 milligrams daily, puts me in the immunocompromised category or weakens my immune system? I'm getting mixed opinions on this. I wouldn't know about the dose, Pat, to be honest. That may be a very specific dose, but certainly those steroids can have immunosuppressive effects. So there's a, something to watch there for definite. And of course, they are being used, by the way, in the intensive care, of care to limit some of the lung inflammation. But certainly people on, on, on chronic low-dose steroids need to be careful. But that exact dose, I'm not sure. It could be low or it could be high. You want to be sure about the dose there. Now, another question, and the first bit is about the classic way uh, of creating a vaccine. Can you ask Professor O'Neill if it's possible to get a vaccine that administers a dead COVID-19 virus that our body identifies and creates antibodies? So when a live COVID-19 virus enters the system, it's attacked. And we've been talking about how they're developing virus uh, vaccines at the moment. But the, the, um, the second part, can a live COVID-19 molecule be genetically modified so that it can't multiply and then be administered into humans to form antibodies. That's from Nile and Swords. That, per that person has it, Pat, exactly, because what they just described is all these different approaches. The one in Oxford, famously, that we've been discussing, but that, that's actually a virus that can't replicate. So it goes into the muscle. It's injected into your muscle. It just sits there, you know, and then begins to trigger an immune. But it can't replicate, so it's fully safe, you know. Obviously, most vaccines, you, you, what you, you attenuate the virus in some way with chemicals. You can kill it with the chemical, say. You can modify it so it won't divide as much as we saw in that example. So all those approaches absolutely are being used. Uh, sometimes you can just use the protein that you want to get an immune response to from the virus. That's very pure. It's just the protein, you know. And then, of course, there's companies like Moderna using just the RNA from the virus. They've taken that out the virus and that of course that's just a piece of rna so that can't that's not that's not the intact virus at all so so that's a really good question all those approaches are being tested yeah and finally luke have you had your slug of debt all this morning uh, just to make sure you don't get oh god <laughs> let's not go back over that for crying out loud isn't that ridiculous <laughs> there's actually there's one more there's one more thing Pat, i think i'd like to emphasize though before we sign off on the bat study so this is the last we're going back to bats again hope you don't mind yeah it's a very important finding in that berkeley study Bats that are stressed release more virus, okay? So if you have a bat in a cage or you've trapped it in some way, and they've shown this, it's a fantastic study. And there's an organization called Bat One Health that, that will look after bats and they worry about the bat communities, you know? And this is a massive collaboration, Madagascar, Bangladesh, all these different countries. And that's where this information is coming. And especially if you, if you invade their habitat bats. So if we disturb bats because we're moving into their habitat, those bats get very anxious. And guess what? They begin to release more virus. Now. If that's borne out, that's a really important finding because that means we've got to look after the bats because if we continue putting bats under stress, more of these coronaviruses will jump out of them, you know, into us. So, and, and again, remember, that's the species that we've got to look at now for the next coronavirus, if, if any of us can even imagine that. We've got, we can't be putting bats under stress because there's a risk of them spreading into us from there. 
Okay. Uh, do we know, uh, finally, Luke, on bats, bats here, have they any of these bad viruses that uh, might be conveyed to us indirectly? That's a really good question, but I think they do. No, I don't think they're the same, the same range. Different species here, of course, compared to other countries, but that's exactly what people are wondering. Now, again, you might argue that in Ireland, we're not putting the bats under pressure, are we? In a sense, because we're not invading their territory as much necessarily, and we're certainly not capturing them, you know, which is what's happening in China. So so if they did have those kinds of viruses, there'd be less of a risk with the, the Irish bats. And I think because of different species, they wouldn't have as many as my understanding of it. Emma Teeling, we'll have to get her on, actually, to be honest, because Emma is the world expert on bats, you know, we'll have to get her on at some point and chat to her about those kinds of things. Yeah, love to. Um, and a final one from a listener. How does COVID-19 affect patients on blood thinners or does it make any difference? There's a big effort, Pat, actually going on at how the virus affects blood and, and there's evidence it can cause coagulation even, you know, so that some viruses can do that, by the way, they can make your blood clot uh, in, in, in low localised areas, not all over your body, you know, but that's an important thing to look at because there could be a risk so of blood problems. So this might explain then, this, yeah, it might explain the increase in thrombosis and stroke. Um, if Absolutely. The, the viruses, so the person on blood thinners is better off? <laughs> Potentially, precisely. <laughs> And that's a con it's a concern, Pat, because and, and if you talk to any of our physician colleagues, I was, I was talking to uh, Paddy Mallon the other day, they are seeing a big increase in, in markers of coagulation in people who are infected. They think of D-dime, where you can measure that in the blood. So, so there's something going on with blood in this virus, which need, and now the doctors are well aware of this, by the way, and, and will monitor this very closely. There's a risk of stroke, Pat, and not to worry people, but there have been studies showing that a small number might have a higher risk of stroke. There's a blood clot's happening, you see. That's very important information for our doctors because then they can measure that, you know, and monitor it and make sure it doesn't happen. So so maybe yeah, blood thinner could, could be a good thing. I, I wouldn't be advi advising people to take it yet, mind you, but, but we, need more, we need more evidence behind that. But that's a real focus I've noticed in the last couple of weeks, that area around coagulation and this virus has become really sort of uh, active in terms of trying to understand what's going on. So I must continue my glass of red wine. That's the message. Absolutely, because it does thin that's the right. slightly. One, that, that's perfectly fine. The, the, that's right. That's right. The odd glass of wine is fine. Not not in excess, as we know, but we, we need something, don't we, to keep us going. So a glass of red is good. <laughs> and that was Professor Luke O'Neill on Wednesday's Pat Kenny Show. Coming up next, we'll hear about the reality facing restaurateurs during and after COVID-19. Welcome back to the Weekly Digest on News Talk. I'm Sean Defoe. Now, we're all well aware of the disruption in our day-to-day -day lives that have been caused by the coronavirus. But on Monday's hard shoulder, restaurateur JP McMahon painted a stark picture for the future of his industry. Uh, JP, uh, the difference between one metre and two metres on social distancing, that, that's really quite impactful, isn't it? Oh, 100%. Uh, like the, the difference would be one is open and one of the other ones closed. Uh, like one metre as Oliver intimated, is about uh, a 50% reduction in, in all of our three premises. We, we, we implemented it in Cava the weekend before we closed and we were looking at a 50% loss in, in, in seating numbers. A two metre, uh, we, would, we wouldn't be opening at all. It just, it just wouldn't, um, it just, uh, you'd be to like a quarter. It just wouldn't be viable in, in any capacity. And uh, as the others have said, the fixed costs are, are still there. We still owe uh, the banks, uh, the landlords, and um, yeah, like it is, it it is uh, it is a difficult time for us at the moment. Single-use plastics. What's the issue there? I suppose for me, like uh, I read the Australian guidelines, and they're recommending everyone use plastic cutlery and um, disposable everything. I, I think the world has forgotten that we have a massive plastic issue, um, and I think a lot of the takeaways that are 
um, being uh, gotten at the moment are all in these single-use plastics. Even the, the a lot of the protective equipment. Um, there was a photograph of the Indian Ocean there a couple of uh, weeks ago, just covered in gloves and masks. And I think we also like we're we're trading one environmental problem with another one, and we have kind of like. Uh, I know we're all kind of into survival mode, but we really need to think about how much plastic we're willing to use just so um, we can be, so we don't have to reuse it. And I think washing things and washing your hands are, I think are the, are the, are still the safest ways, but I think people feel safer with gloves and masks on, but I don't know if that's the case. I was reading through the RAI submission. Zero VAT, uh, banks to waive fees until a vaccine is found, moratorium on existing loan repayments, ECB rates, uh, insurance that wants payouts assured for restaurateurs, uh, forbearance uh, in relation to to landlords. It, it, It seems a bit of a wish list. I, I think so. It's very ambitious. I mean, I would love uh, if it all came true, but I think the the realist in me, I can't see the banks doing anything. But the banks have done nothing so far yet, um, and I think uh, I think this crisis has demonstrated the like the absolute inhumanity of the banking system in in the world, but in Ireland. I mean, we have got to stay on our on our our um, mortgage in in Cava, which we own. We're paying interest on that, so it's kind of like a. It's almost two fingers to you. Like, I mean, surely the bank can absorb something. And um, the second one is the insurance industry. They're saying we're not covered, even though it's 50-50. We would have to take them to court. Do we have the money to do that? How much are we going to get out of it? So that's another another no-no. Um, rates are deferred, but they still might be put in place. So, I mean, we have 45 staff who are all, I suppose, um, on the COVID payment, as we are at the moment. And, um, yeah, it's quite it's quite worrying. I mean, we're, we're trying to establish a, a takeaway thing in, in CAVA, but it's uh, how, how many people will go for it. Um, I don't know. And then if we open up in June, I mean, Italy, I think, put the 1st of June in there uh, for the restaurants. Over. If there's two metres social distancing, well, that's three restaurants that won't be open. And lastly, as Oliver said, in Galway, we all depend on tourism. Um, we could have 100% tourism in some of our restaurants in, in the middle of July. And if that's not there, um, particularly in here, which is like the Michelin Star restaurant, which mostly does tourists, um, I suppose I'm, I'm very concerned about its, its survival. And tell me this, if, you know, on Friday they announce they're going to extend the lockdown till the June bank holiday and restaurants won't reopen and maybe construction sites will or whatever and you go four, five kilometres, but they say you have to stay closed. Is there ever a point where where you're going to say, hold on a second, uh, you know, uh, uh, let's be really heartless about this. The median age of, of those who died is 84. The situation is that, you know, 90 people die a day in Ireland anyway, uh, and that ultimately there'll be no Minister for Health can say, this time next year, you can go to an ear or any other restaurant and absolutely be guaranteed that you won't get this virus. So at some point, people just have to pay their money and take their chances. And if young people want to go out or whatever, you know, that is their own personal responsibility, their own risk. And if people want to stay home and cocoon, that's fine too. Uh, do, do you think we need to have that debate? I, I, I absolutely, I think so. I mean, I think it's a question for the world to answer. But I think if if we look at this um, pandemic in relation to the number of pandemics that took place in the 20th century, the one in 1968 to 1970, like a million people died in that and nothing was done. And my father w- was sick during that. Then you go to 1918, which was really drastic. But I mean, at some point, we're going to have to open up 
the economy or there won't be aspects of the economy left. I mean, if we, if we, every month we stay closed, it's more difficult to reopen. And so it depends how long, at what point do we wait for, if we have to live with this virus, then uh, what are we going to do to make the, our society sustainable? I, do, I wouldn't say we have been over the top, but I certainly think that we need, to, we need a pragmatic approach going forward. And the other point, JP, is this just cannot go on indefinitely. It just cannot go on indefinitely. No, no, 100%. I mean, we can't... I suppose we're all on hold. And like, if the restaurants are not going to reopen, then they're not going to reopen. And we have to do something else. I have to do something else. And like, I'm a realist. If an ear doesn't reopen, it doesn't reopen. Uh, but I, 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 at the moment, it's just nothing. And we are, like, we thankfully, we, we got 50% off in tartar and in ear, but we're still paying a thousand euro a month in an ear for nothing. And that is still building up and we still mm. owe it. And so for every month we stay open, we owe another, and, and that's the oh, same, right. same in tartar. And that was restaurateur JP McMahon speaking with Ivan earlier this week. But there is a sense of hope from the bookselling community, particularly as more people are at home, they have a bit more time to read books and many more are still selling online. Our reporter Henry McKean went out to hear how booksellers are faring during this phase of COVID-19. I'm an avid reader, round the clock, COVID or no COVID. But books, they're not hurting at the moment. Definitely, they're helping. I never really wanted to be an online bookseller who just worked by himself in a locked shop posting things to people. That's never what the plan was. I didn't get in it to get rich, but I did want to get books to people. So this is the best we can do at the minute. So that's what we're doing. I had this amazing dream where I could fly, which is really positive, but I could only fly incredibly slowly, like like a balloon kind of floating along, you know, that kind of slow. And all my friends were like, well, Bob, will you hurry up? And I was like, but I can fly. And they were just like, but we can walk faster, Bob. You could just walk faster than you're flying. And I think if that's not a metaphor for my world at the minute, I don't know what is, to be honest. I just feel like, you know, people really need books and want books at the minute. So we're just doing our best, really, to get books out the door as fast as we can, just to keep everybody's mental health together, I think. My name is Bob Johnson from the Gutter Bookshop in Temple Bar. We're standing just outside your bookshop at the moment in the heart of Temple Bar and Cow's Lane. It's very quiet, but, but how is business? How are you getting on and how have you changed things to keep going? So we completely closed for the first two weeks of the lockdown when the first lockdown first came in. We actually closed the sh- both shops on the 15th of March, so we closed quite early. And I just worked from home, kind of talking to people via email and stuff. Um, A couple of weeks ago, the NSAI brought in new guidelines, which meant that we could do the online business behind locked doors. So I've been in here by myself in the shop for the last couple of weeks, just picking books and packing them up and posting them out to people. And it's hard. It's hard mentally. It's hard physically. But we are getting books out the door and people want to read. People need to read at the minute. So it's just nice being able to get books into people's hands. And are you getting lonely? Yeah, I know it sounds funny, but it is. It's an odd situation. Normally we have a team of five of us working across our two shops. We have customers in and out the doors every day. We talk about books, we chat about books, and that's a big part of it. So what are people buying? What are people reading? There's a lot of fiction going out, a lot of novels. There's a lot of new Irish writing going out. Anisha Dolan um, has exciting times out. That's flying out the door. Uh, Kovri Madahavan um, is uh, an Irish writer. She's written a book 
book called The Tainted, which we got copies of last week. They're flying out the door. Uh, crime books, uh, Angela Carter, Henrietta McCurvey. So lots of novels going out to, to adults. We're also supplying um, some kids' educational books um, for people who are teaching people at home. Um, and yeah, sorry, we're not open. No, so a man just came over there and tried to go into the shop? Yeah, we're, we're stood on the doorstep. Normally I'm behind the locked doors. We're obviously doing this little interview so I can get a bit of air and, and breathe. And that's it. People still come up and somehow remarkably think the, the shop might be open. And of course we can't be open at the minute. It's, it's not safe for customers. It's not safe for the staff. And we're in the middle of a lockdown and we're trying to honour that lockdown, um, which is why all the other staff are at home. Um, they're doing website bits for me. They're doing book reviews. But I'm coming in to pack home and pick and pack for customers so that we can get some books out to people. It's a bit more free time unfortunately with two kids. It's a little bit harder to read sometimes but obviously getting the newspaper regularly is a, a common thing now which I enjoy thoroughly. But uh, I'm going through a few books at the moment, a lot of travel writing actually. Great book by Dom Jolly um, about travelling the world to different dangerous places. So books are really helping? Oh absolutely yeah. Does help take you away from the place that we're in at the moment. It does help the mind um, escape. It's nice and relaxing. Um, at the moment, I'm reading about the Grange Gorman murders, so I'm into kind of crime and detective stuff. So I am essential services, so um, I'm trying to read more. So I'm reading uh, a book called The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. I'm Robert Redmond, I'm the proprietor of Manor Books here in Malahide. At the moment, uh, we're able to open because. We're classified as a specialist shop that sells newspapers. We restricted our times from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. People are very appreciative of the fact that we're open. And can people come in and buy a newspaper? They can, absolutely. They come in. Now, we only sell the one newspaper, which is the Irish Times, but uh, nonetheless, we, we know technically we were correct and that we're allowed to open. And the dilemma we have, okay, we have a good stock of uh, bestsellers and that, but we can't get books in. There's two wholesalers in Ireland. They obviously get stuff from the UK. 99% of what we have comes from the UK, and they're all on shutdown. It's not a case of that uh, it's just our wholesalers here don't have stock. They actually can't get it. They are open at the moment, but they can't get stock anyway. The books that are available, what are people buying? What are people reading? What are they wanting? Oddly enough, there's still book reviews in the weekend papers, which we can't get. The bestseller at the moment we have is, is Liz Nugent, Our Little Cruelties. People tend to be going a lot for thrillers, uh, crime thrillers, that sort of thing, uh, general fiction. The thicker the better people are, are buying so that they can, uh, you know, can kill some time. And the other thing that we're, we're selling is uh, non-books, is uh, jigsaw puzzles. Jigsaws are doing well? Jigsaw puzzles are doing really well and we happen to be able to get access to those. There is a company in the UK uh, that uh, we, we use from time to time and uh, they happen to have a selection of jigsaws. So, and anything from a thousand pieces seems to be the popular one right up to four thousand, which is map of the world, ancient maps of the world. So they're going really well, I have to say. People can phone through or send us an email. We can take their order. If we have it, we'll deliver it with, with, as long as it's within the two kilometre radius. And if not, then we can post it. And the Booksellers Association of Ireland have done a tremendous deal with Unpost. And uh, for a standard of up to 10 kilograms, it's 270 to post the parcel, which is less than half the price that it normally is. So it's a great service, actually.
And what's your phone number if somebody wants to get a book for Manor Books? Okay, so we're all one obviously for Dublin and we're 816-8685 or our email is info at manorbooks.ie. The customers, we're, we're, we haven't realised that we're open and, and they're coming and anybody comes tends to buy. But what we don't have is we don't have the footfall anymore. The, the village, as you can see around here, it's, it's very quiet. Just recently, I had a phone call from the States, in actual fact, and uh, it was a, a girl who's, uh, and, and they're on shutdown there. I think she's on the West Coast and uh, in LA. But her dad is, uh, is retired and it's his birthday today, actually. So she phoned me about a week ago and she ordered three books and asked me what I delivered them. Early this morning, I, the first thing I got up and was there at eight o'clock outside the house. I just left the books there, all parcel up and uh, gave the doorbell a ring and uh, just left the scene for for his surprise in times like this when it is it's difficult it's very difficult for people who are isolated especially high risk or older people I'm reading Baladachi's um, The First Family um, it's a thriller I'm a nurse so I'm working a lot of the time and doing a lot of extra work I'm just back from sick I've had two negative swabs so that's great so, so, so you did have COVID yeah but I'm back now after two negative swabs so I'm fine so I'm particularly enjoying reading now. Always love reading and I love that manor bookshop. Well I'm actually in a nursing home that I've been out this past three weeks. I'm going back this week now. We have lost two people. Ten have recovered and now we have another ten who are sick but they're on the road to recovery. Well, you get back into that book. Thank you very much. Good comfort reading for people that allows you to escape into a different world for a change because I think we're all a bit bored of this one at the minute. It's tricky. I really miss having a bookshop. Um, I really miss talking to people about books. Kind of quite mentally hard, I think, at the minute for a lot of people. Um, and for those people who are working behind doors, it's hard. Um, I've just done the April figures. We've just been closed for an entire month. So for April, we're 80% down on what we did April 2019. Um, I don't know how long that can continue. Um, our staff, thankfully, through the wage subsidy scheme from the government, are being able to get paid, which is fantastic. Um, but I can't survive on 20% of orders for a long time. It's the Gutter Bookshop. What's the website? Um, so cleverly, it's gutterbookshop.com. Picking and posting as quickly as we can. At the minute, it's taking us about five days to work through orders. Um, but do, yeah, have a look at our website. Do send us an order if you can. And support all independent businesses that you can at the minute however they do it most of them will take emails some of them will be able to take phone calls but independent businesses really need all the help you can give them at the minute so if you've got an indie near you whether it's a bookshop or it's a baker's or it's a butcher's or it's a I don't know a, a quirky little design shop give them some business if you can we're all going to have to try to make our way through this if we possibly can. That report from Henry McKean. Now next week we're expecting to hear plenty of analysis of the government's exit plan for the next few months that was outlined on Friday night. Whether it's achievable, just what milestones are going to have to be met medically in order for the restrictions to be phased out and how life can eventually get back to some sense of normality, if not quite full normality for a while. As always, we will continue to bring you updates as they happen on News Talk, but be sure to subscribe to this podcast on the Go Loud app or wherever it is you get your podcast from. You can submit your questions or comments to covidquestions at newstalk.com. That's covidquestions at newstalk.com. Until next week, take care and stay safe.